Remember, as far as everyone knows, we are a nice, normal family. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's valid in the songbook. <laughs> yeah. Okay, uh, also I have an announcement. Um, Coach Billy, am I saying Laird? I don't read cursive very well. Coach Bill, Billy Laird, coach at um, uh, Nashville for 12 years. He's in LSU Medical, Shreveport ICU. Uh, he's had two strokes and a cardiac arrest last week, and he needs our prayers. Um, so let's go ahead and let's go ahead and pray for him, and then we'll um, start the sermon. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time that we have together. Thank you for um, the diversity and the unity that's in this place. Uh, God, we all together um, lift up uh, Coach Laird and his um, his struggle right now in Shreveport. Uh, be with his family. Be with him. Help him to uh, to overcome this. To uh, help the doctors to be attentive. And help us and, and work miracles that they can't explain. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right, we have a um, a, a couple of things. If you you have, we're, we're a little sparse today because there was a flood last night, and a lot of people hear the rain like that at three o'clock and think, "All right, I'm staying in tomorrow." That's fine. It's just to say you get bonus points today for being here, and I don't even know how that works. But we're glad that you got them, and glad that you're um, here with us today. Uh, if you are here and you're here for the first time, we've got several new faces. Uh, after today's sermon, we will take up a second collection. We do this every third Sunday. It's for the missions offering. We have uh, missions that we uh, work, work on together. This is not for you. If you want to give to that, that's fine. This is for our regular people. We just try to take up one collection a month for the missions that we've got going on here at the church. Don't leave here thinking, they take up two offerings, those greedy Church of Christ people. <laughs> so, uh, missions offering, if you want to give, thank you. But that's not like that's not really one that we're holding you to. Uh, we don't really even hold you to the first one. Uh, so, missions. Got it. That's a missions offering. That's not for you. I've always we we have uh, a lot of people who go here who who uh, who coach in varying degrees and uh, I always laugh at the guys who um, will talk about how well I didn't play because the coach didn't like me. Have you ever heard that? I get that from a lot from teams. I don't play a lot. Coach doesn't like me. Well, he doesn't like you because you're not good. <laughs> that's um, that's how that works. Uh, we always, uh, in, in, in um, life, in, in sports, in music, in all the things that we, that we try to do, uh, there's two different approaches. You can either um, have an ex, what they call an external locus or an internal locus. External locus is the teacher failed me. And an internal locus is I failed the class. So who are you giving uh, responsibility? To whom are you giving responsibility? The, the, the outside group or the inside group? I didn't work hard enough. Coach didn't like me. And so a lot of times what we do is we have, we have, we don't even turn on our mic. There we go. Am I on now? I was on before. I'm just loud. There we go. You, if you mute uh, line one, that'll, that'll help you out a little bit. Uh, so what we do is we, we blame other people for our failings, 
We blame other people for our shortcomings, and we blame other people just for our current situations. Well, I'm in this situation because they... No, 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 no. You are in this situation because you are in this situation. Now, it is probably partly somebody else's fault. Somebody may have had a role in that, but who... What can you do to affect your situation? That's the only thing you can change. Only thing you can control is what you are capable of. And so what, we, we do this all the time in so many different areas of our life. But one of the most dangerous parts we, places we do this is in our relationship with God. And sometimes we feel disconnected from God. And we ask the question, when we feel disconnected from God, we ask the question... Where is God? Well, if you think about it, that's a pretty silly question. Where is God? It's like saying, where is air? Where's God? Well, God is, God is present, but we often blame our, this feeling of disconnection we have from God on God. It's an external locus. Blame God makes us feel better. I don't know where God is in all this. Well, do you know where you are in all this? Because <laughs> I think that's actually a more important question for your life and your life in relationship with God. There's a prophet named Elijah. Elijah is a, um, an interesting case because his life, like ours, actually most biblical characters are like this if we just pay attention. His life is like ours. It's got these ups and downs. These hills and valleys of joy and sorrow, of victory and defeat. We're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 19 today. Uh, but in 1 Kings chapter 18, Elijah does this really cool thing. He, he has a competition with 450 prophets of Baal. Uh, I've said this before, I, I don't know why I feel like I need to give this clarifier. It's actually pronounced Baal in the Hebrew, or it's Baal, it's two A's, you've got to pronounce them both, Baal. Um, but we're from the South, so we say Baal, like, like Jethro and Baal. Uh, but we'll, we'll call him Baal. Uh, ba these, these prophets of Baal came together and they said, alright, we're going to have a sacrifice off, you know, like you do. And they're going to get to, they got these stone things together, and 450 prophets got together and tried, whoever, whichever God lights the sacrifice on their own, sets it on fire on their own, that's going, to, that's the true God. And so 450 prophets of Baal get together, and they do their thing, and they do their prayers, and their dances, and their rituals, and Elijah just heckles them the whole time. He says, where, where is your God? Maybe, maybe you need to talk louder. Maybe Baal's asleep. Maybe he's on the, he's in the bathroom. I said on the, and that's never a good, uh, in the bathroom. So he's in, he's in the bathroom. Maybe, but where is he? And then finally, they say, all right, well, I just said, my turn. Uh, soak, soak the altar with water. Dig a trench. Soak it with water so much so that there's a moat. We want a moat around the altar. And it's going, to, it's going to be soaking wet, and I'm going to pray, God, help me out. And boom, lightning, fire, the whole thing. Not just, not just the animal, but the rocks 
get incinerated. It's just, it's just a disaster. It's a disaster of a sacrifice. They did just an explosion of a sacrifice, and all the everyone says, "Okay, <coughs> we were wrong." And Elijah said, "Thank you. You're going to die." And they all died. And it was a, it was a battle, and they all they all had their little battle. Now, what happens next is all the prophets of Baal die, and the queen Jezebel has a um, a, a fit, and she says, "All right, somebody's got to kill Elijah now." And so everybody chases after Elijah. Now he runs off to this barren wasteland and gets so sad and says, oh, I'm just all by myself. I'm all alone. Nobody is here with me. God, what's happening? And God comes to him and asks him a very, a very important question. Let's read it here. Verse 19, verse 9, last part of verse 9. And the word of the Lord came to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, tore down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Alright, maybe we're just so used to this sort of dialogue in our lives that we don't catch what the, the switch that was made. But he didn't ask, what is everybody else doing? He asked, what are you doing? That's often how we operate. What's going on with you? Well, I'll tell you what's going on. We get the hand of condemnation out and we start pointing at people. Then they're doing this and they're doing this and those people won't listen and that person's trying to kill me. Maybe you haven't had that one, but that's Elijah's circumstance. What are you doing? They're trying to do, they're doing something. I'm in this awful situation because of them. And God says to him, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. The Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And the wind, there was, after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And the fire, after the fire came a gentle whisper. This is a really weird word uh, here in the Hebrew. Uh, it's actually kind of hard to translate um, what's actually being said here. Um, from my understanding, and I'm by no means a Hebrew scholar, but from my particular perspective, it looks like one of the best translations could be an awkward silence. Uh, the King James says, and the uh, New Revised Standard says, a sheer, a, no, New Revised Standard says a mere silence. Or some versions say a gentle whisper, but we're just talking about something real quiet. We used to have that at church when I was growing up. Uh, we we jokingly called it the Holy Hush. I don't know if you did this at your church, but back whenever I was growing up, the, the way we did it, the guys that served communion would march down front before the service started. Did y'all do that? They had this like entrance. They broke through some paper at the back and everyone cheered and then they, were, they marched down. 
And then we always, we had to stand at the back and wait for the time for service to start. And what we always said was we waited for the holy hush. Because you could hear it. People going, phone, phone, phone. Then there's a silence. Oh, now it's time. Let's march. And we marched down and we took our spots and waited to serve communion. We did it. Usually nailed it. And there was, there was, a, that, that, but that sort of awkward, like, in the moment, Silence. Where everyone is quiet. Go to these one of these big sporting events. Go to a Mavericks game or a Rangers game or a Cowboys game if you can afford parking. And watch when someone gets hurt. A bad hurt. And the whole crowd just... It's one thing for a church of 200... To be quiet, it's another thing for 20,000, 30,000, 40,000 people to be silent. And there's this moment of we are all paying attention to this one thing. Silence can be overwhelming in the right situation. And especially after a whisper and after an earthquake and then silence, God is in that silence. When Elijah heard the silence, heard the whisper, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. What is God going to ask him? He then says, what are you doing here, Elijah? Same question, same answer. I have been very zealous for the Lord Almighty that the Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Notice it doesn't just, it's not just the pointing out of what everyone else is doing wrong. I have been very zealous for the Lord. We get it, Elijah. Zeal. Fantastic. But what else is that everyone else, I'm doing great. Everyone else is the problem. I'm trying everyone else is doing wrong God then says to him go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus now we're about to get into a part of the Bible that that I might lose you on you might zone out because I'm about to say some names stick with me because what he's about to say to, to Elijah is pretty important go back and go to the desert of Damascus. And you, when you get there, anoint Hazael, king of Aram. And also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, over Abel. From Abel, Meholah. Oh man, I almost made it. To succeed you as a prophet. So, appoint two new kings and one new prophet. Now, we may say, well, we got some appointments, we got some names. But what he's telling Elijah to do is go stir up more trouble. There were already kings in place in these places. What happens when you as a prophet of God go and appoint appoint a new king when a king already exists? What does the existing king want to do? He wants to kill you and your new king. So, God comes to Elijah and says, Elijah, what's happening? He says, people are trying to kill me. Okay, go do some other things that will get you killed. Go appoint new kings and new prophets. 
Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazael, and Elijah will put to death anyone who escapes the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and whose mouths have not kissed him. This, this theme is not beneficial to Elijah's attitude. Notice what happens. He says, what are you doing here? He says, they are mean. And God says, go. See, a lot of times we want to complain to God and say, God, what are you doing in this situation? What, where are you right now? We feel disconnected. And I've always thought that the best way to overcome any disconnecting feeling from God is to go get involved in what, in what God is doing. <clears throat> Stop trying, stop whining because you aren't being, you aren't receiving anything. We far too long in this consumer mentality of Christianity want to be recipients from God instead of participants in what God is doing. And with you in your daily life, in your occupation, this is going to look different in every place. The way you function as a teacher, the way you function as as a as employer, as an employee, as a, as someone who works in the service industry, or as somebody who who uh, is has a craft that they do, it's going to look different day to day for each one of you. But there is something, some way you can participate in the in in the kingdom of God instead of just being a recipient of the kingdom of God. Stop. Receiving and start participating. Stop asking, what, what is God doing? And then look at yourself and say, what, what am I doing? What's going on with me? We have a tendency to come to church and say, you know, that church, and Mineral Springs is great, this. that church really received us really well. It seemed like they were glad we were there. And that's, I love that about this group. But eventually, as a visitor, if you become a member, we're now asking you to be the sort of person who wel welcomes the new people. You see, you're not always going to be the welcomed. You're eventually going to become the welcomer. And so if, if you love that, if you love receiving that, that new feeling of, oh, people are glad I'm here. Here's what you do. You come for three weeks and then just disappear for two months. And then come back and we'll be really glad you're here. But if you want to participate in what we're doing in this place, we're, you're, there eventually has to become a shift where you stop demanding people be glad to see you. And start being glad to see other people. At first you are a recipient, and that's fine. At first in the Christian life you are a recipient, because God offered His Son for you. God has redeemed you of your sins, He forgave you of your sins, He restored you. There will be resurrection. There is, there is serious hope and serious gifts to receive, but once you get ankle deep within the Christian life, it is no longer time to receive, but time to participate. Because if we just keep receiving and receiving and receiving, we are like a UPS driver who got all the boxes and said, wow, people must love me. And never delivered them. And that's a felony. <laughs> I think I'm not an expert anymore. Okay, so 
One of the things that's crazy about the Christian life, though, in this respect, is that uh, last Thursday is what they call Ascension Thursday. Forty days after Easter. You count five Sundays past Easter and then go to the next Thursday. That's Ascension Sundays. Theoretically, the day Jesus ascended into heaven. And the Ascension is a big deal. Because it's not just... The Ascension was always funny to me growing up because it's the weirdest thing in the Bible. We just act like it's the most normal thing. Well, he died, and then he was with his disciples for a while, and then he ascended. He just floated into the sky. And some, and some people said, well, why are the angels came and said, well, why are you staring into the sky? Well, angel, a man just flew into the sky. Like that, out of all the miracles, that's the craziest one. Like they've been following this guy walking for a while, and then he was like, they were like, well, when are you going to bring the kingdom in? Ah. Uh, it's not for you to know. For me and my father to know. <laughs> and just disappears into the clouds. Like, can we all admit that's crazy? I believe it happened. It's crazy. But what's happening is not just him floating off and disappearing. An ascension, that word ascension, is not, if he just flew, they would have said he flew. But he ascended. What? Do you ascend to a throne? It's only thing you ascend to. Jesus, Jesus' ascension is Jesus' pronouncement, is God's pronouncement to the world that Jesus is king. And it is an old um, cliche and rhetoric for preachers to say that we want, we want Jesus to be Savior, but we, we don't want Him to be Lord. That's a false dichotomy. If He is our Savior. He's got to be. He does so by being our Lord. By being our King. We can't have the receive. We can't get the gift from God without accepting the rule of God because the gift of God is the rule of Jesus. They're not two separate things. So he rules now, this is what's hard about this is I don't like I don't know what to do sometimes. I don't know what to do without Jesus telling me what to do. And he's not giving me a whole lot of gentle whispers, if any at all. I don't know if I'm just not in tune, but I don't hear it. And I bet that's how the disciples feel felt when they watched him leave. Then they remembered, and this is something that is talked about in Acts. Uh, after suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. I mean, that's that's a thing you got to do when you stop being dead. You got to give many convincing proofs that you are alive. He appeared to them over a period of forty days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command: "Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift of my." Give my father promise, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. In a couple of days, you will know what to do. But until then, here's something for you to do. A lot of you are waiting for, well, I don't know what God wants me to do here. Well, don't sit and mope. Do what you know to do. Serve like you know to serve. Love like you know 
to love. Forgive like you know to forgive. Show grace like you know to show grace. And sometimes the Christian life isn't about this big decision or that big decision. The Christian life is about doing the work of the kingdom day to day. And I would argue actually it's mostly that. It's not one big epiphany after another big epiphany of God's will telling me to go this way or that way. It's just me going to school, going to my job, going to my church, going to my house, being a good husband, being a good wife, good father, a good mother, a good child. And, and in the name of the kingdom of God, go do something to participate in the kingdom of God. Of God and what that looks like for you. It may be unclear at first. But it's my prayer that this week God makes it clear to you what it is, what it looks like for you to participate in His kingdom. And it might not be, be a big show. You might not be the guy going around bonking people on the head, healing them of their limps. You might, that, not, that's not you, prob probably. That's not you. But it may be something, it's going to be something small. But what happens when a bunch of small things work together for one big thing? <coughs> a big thing happens. Be who you know to be, do what you know to do. To connect that feeling of disconnection with God. You don't even have to worry about it. You don't have time. When you're doing the work of the kingdom of God, you don't have time to figure out where God is. You realize He's in my hands. God's in my words. God's in my feet. God's in my relationships. God is present in all of these places. Do what you know to do. In those moments where you think, where is God? I'm, I'm arguing God's answer is go do what you know to do. Maybe you felt disconnected from God and maybe you kind of at this place where you're not even sure what that looks like to, to restart that life. Maybe you've never connected with God. God gave His Son so that you could freely connect Freely have relationship with the God who created the heavens and the earth. The God who sent his son to die on the cross. The God who raised his son from the dead. That's a gift for you. Receive it and start participating. If you've never received it, come receive it this morning down front. If you, if you haven't been participating of it and you need help and need prayers, then come pray with us. Come talk to us. But if you need to receive or you need to participate and you need help doing that, please come forward while we stand and while we sing.